you may have picked up in the past seven-ish months or so, if you are a regular here, and if not, don't worry, this won't last long, (laughs) you may have picked up that I like to deliver the Word of God with a little bit of humor, like the old... uh, like the, uh, the musical says, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. But we come tonight to a text that is difficult. There is hope, there is joy, but there is great darkness that surrounds it. We're going to be continuing in Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. I'd encourage you uh, to turn there, Matthew chapter 26. And as you're doing that, uh, and as we look at Matthew's account of Last Supper, I want us to focus on the words that Jesus himself uses. We're going to begin in verse 17. I didn't mention that. But I want you to focus on the words, and I want us to focus on the words that Jesus uses here. If you've been around the church world for very long, you've probably heard these words, take and eat. This is my body. With regards to a cup, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What was Jesus saying when he gave us those words? On the surface, they are very, very troubling, very confusing words. And during our time right now, I want to suggest that that Jesus was saying three things. That first of all, he was saying, I have the, the power to interpret the past. I have the power to interpret the past. Secondly, I have the power to interpret your present. And third, I have the power to interpret your future. So I have the power to interpret the past. I have the power to interpret your present. I have the power to interpret your future. So As we are thinking about that, let's turn to Scripture right now. Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 30. Hear God's word as I share it with you. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, one of the, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You've said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, 
They went out to the Mount of Olives. This is God's word. Pray with me. Lord, we come to familiar words. We come to words that we know were given by you. And yet they contain, contain so much, so much that is instructive about your mission and your purpose, so much that is instructive about how we are to live our lives. Help us to see what you were saying in those moments, that we can have our lives interpreted through the lens of yours. During this time, strengthen my words, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. You, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, in coming to this passage, we have come to one of the important times in the Jewish calendar. And actually, it's a, it's a, a great uh, uh, overlap this year. Uh, we have come to Jesus having the Passover meal with his disciples. And the Passover meal uh, and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread often get uh, put together, and even in the Jewish uh, tradition, uh, the one-day festival and the seven-day festival got kind of pushed together into an eight-day festival. And they celebrated them together. And um, these are probably terms that we have heard, the, the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Um, and perhaps we, we know that that was important somehow to Jesus' ministry and what he was doing here. But we want to take a look as to what Jesus was doing here and, and, and how that connects to the actual Passover meal itself. You know, Jesus are, are, and his uh, disciples are sharing this meal together as a family unit. During the Passover meal, families would celebrate together, groups of about 10 or 12, and they'd gather in homes. And if you were traveling from somewhere like Galilee, which was a hike, you would come with friends because you might not have your family with you. And what this celebration does is it commemorates two major events in the history of Israel. The Passover, of course, was the, the, the passing over of the angel of death in the final plague of the plagues on Egypt. The Israelites were instructed to slaughter a lamb and to put the blood on their doorposts as a sign that the angel of death was to pass over so that the firstborn of the family would not be killed. And in that night, from, from the, the lowest of classes right up to Pharaoh's household, people were lost. But that blood, that was a sign of deliverance from judgment. You know, we can think of, of, of the plagues as ways to get, get the Israelites out of Egypt, but they were punishments. They were justice leveled on the, on the Egyptians for what they had done to the Israelites. And so that's the first commemoration, the Passover. 
and that's going to be important here in a second. The second was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which commemorated uh, the Israelites' departure from Egypt as well. They were instructed, make bread, don't put any leaven in it, take whatever you have, eat you know, with your staff in hand, because you are going to depart quickly. And so it commemorates this departure from Egypt, this departure and this freedom from bondage that they had experienced for hundreds of years. They came into the land as, as people welcomed, and then there came a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, as we hear in the older language, and they became slaves and oppressed, a people abused and beaten used for their economic output to to further the Egyptian kingdom. And so these these festivals commemorate those two things. And they remind the people of Israel, you are never to forget what the Lord has done for you. The major command was that you teach this to your children so that generations upon generations will understand what God has done for you. And so the disciples and Jesus are coming to this moment. And it, there was a, a structure to this meal that, went, uh, that, that alternated between questions and glasses of wine and, and food being delivered and food being eaten. And the people were to remember what the Lord had done for them in that meal. And so the major liturgy, this major recounting during this meal, Jesus, as the head of the group, was to be reminding them of what the Lord had done in the past. But instead of doing that, he starts talking about himself. Now, I can't get through a sermon without a little bit of levity. And so let me compare this to... uh, our liturgy in our service, it would be like, for example, if we went to the prayer of confession and I said, you know, this is really about you uh, getting ready to confess to me, right? No, that's not the purpose of it. And yet Jesus starts talking about himself in the midst of this great celebration of what God has done in the past, in the past. So how does he do this? Well, first of all, he takes the bread. The bread, uh, if you go back in Deuteronomy, the bread had a particular name. It was called the bread of affliction, which doesn't sound very appetizing. Like, you go to the restaurant and see bread of affliction, and you're going, "Mm, no, I'll have the panini, thank you. But it was the bread of affliction, It was the reminder of what Israel had gone through at the hands of the Egyptians. It was the reminder that they were a people who were battered, beaten, bruised. They were a people who were oppressed and besieged. They were a people used for others' purposes. And that the reason that they needed deliverance was because they could not deliver themselves. They were afflicted. And so in in eating this bread, in remembering, they remembered that they were slaves in Egypt. That was their lot. And Jesus takes this bread, this bread of affliction, what the good Jewish men that that Jesus had around him would know, and he said, this bread, this is my body. 
take and eat. Wait a minute. Say that again, Jesus? In that moment, he took and he said, all of the the affliction, all of the oppression, all of the beatings, all of the suffering, that is going to be taken into my body. I am going to receive the ultimate affliction. I am going to be the righteous person who is unjustly abused. The, the, the righteous person who is unjustly accused and the righteous person who is unjustly judged. I will bear the stripes on my body. I will bear the whip. I will bear the cross. And I will bear it all in my body. This is my body which is broken for you. And in this moment, he takes what is a symbol of Israel's affliction and he says, there is a greater affliction that I am willing to take and I am willing to bear. And I invite you to share in my affliction because you will also then share in my glory. This is a radical thing. We, you know, there, there's great debate about tradition and, and there's great, uh, great debate in churches about modern and con- contemporary and traditional and whatnot. But this is, this is the liturgy of hundreds of years. This is the history of Israel. Who do we allow to mess with, with history? Well, we allow historians to mess with history, but only when they interact with primary sources good historian always goes back to the primary sources, or we allow the people of the community who owns the history to mess with that history, to tell that history. And here Jesus takes that history of Israel, which is also a history of the relationship of Israel and God, and he says, I'm able to reinterpret this. I am able to tell you what this actually means. And all of those, all of that affliction, all of the suffering, that pointed to what would be poured out on me soon. And I invite you to share in it with me. Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy then becomes powerful. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. Have you ever taken on someone else's suffering? Let me ask that question. Have you ever taken on someone else's suffering? Chances are you've wanted to. 
I remember very distinctly sitting in the hospital room in, Rock, uh, in, a, in the ER room in Rock Island, Illinois, holding Cameron, our younger son, as his head was bleeding. And just wanting the doc, just please fix him. I, if there were any way to switch positions with him, I would. Just make him better. As much as we want to, we can't take on someone else's suffering. We can show compassion, which means to suffer with. That's the root of that word. But we can't take their suffering on ourselves. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that he is able to take our suffering, the suffering of humanity, and bear it himself that he is able to transfer that and and to take that into himself. That's the bread. The cup, the cup he takes, the cup was the third cup of wine. Uh, um, Usually when people find out uh, that there were four cups of wine in the Passover, they want to find if they have any Jewish roots whatsoever. But the cup that Jesus is likely talking about here is the third cup, which was the cup of the covenant. In the history of Israel, the people were sprinkled with blood once when the covenant was renewed before entering the promised land. The sacrifices were made and the instruction was given to sprinkle the people of God in order that they might, be, that they might seal the covenant and be pure before the Lord. In the ancient times, when a covenant was ratified, you would slaughter an animal. It was a symbol. It was a symbol that showed, if you break this covenant, this is what happens to you. It was not a particularly friendly way of sealing a covenant, but it was a reminder, a visible reminder of what would happen if you broke the covenant. But it was also, because of Israel's history, a way to show that the people had been purified, that that the sins of the people had been transferred to the slaughtered animal, and that the punishment that was theirs was then transferred to the animal. Actually, interestingly, if you wanted to get into this, this is the root of the word scapegoat. But as we look at this, the people were sprinkled with blood once. And it was to show that they were purified and that they were sealing the covenant with God, that they would be faithful. And here, Jesus takes this cup, this cup of the covenant, and he said, this covenant is sealed in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Drink it. Nowhere in the Hebrew scriptures is drinking of blood ever permitted. Ever And here Jesus is saying, this is my blood. I am sealing this covenant. I am taking the penalty if this covenant is broken. And you have broken this covenant. But take this and drink it so that it is within you and you are clean to the depths of your soul. It's an amazing transformation in this world, in this moment, and it's one that is is shocking. 
Because he is showing that through his death, they would be purified and have a restored relationship with God. That he would be the sacrificial animal. That he is able to take their sin and their guilt and ours as well. That he is able to seal this. That he is able to take the suffering. And here's the thing. He could not reasonably say these things if he were not claiming to be God. Imagine if someone were to make these claims. Imagine if Sunday morning I come up here and start making these claims about myself. Go, he's lost it. He has had read one too many books. We would think anyone who claimed these things to be insane. And so it's imperative that as we approach the table, we see the depth of Jesus' claim about himself before we take this sacrament. This is why the Apostle Paul urged believers to examine themselves before approaching the table, not to scare them away, but to ensure that they knew what was going on here so that they could understand that, that that Jesus was being broken and he was giving us a choice. Either you take the punishment or I will. And if we claim him as Lord, we are professing that he will take the punishment on our behalf and we can claim the righteousness of his Only God could accomplish this. This is, this, is, this is something beyond the claims of a human being. This is insanity in our world and only makes sense through the power of the Almighty. And so Jesus is saying, that is who I am and I have the power to interpret the past. But I also have the power to interpret your present. Like I said, Jesus invites us into his suffering. You know, it's, it's very odd as I was thinking about this. I, it dawned on me that Jesus invites us to participate in his suffering, not the other way around. Jesus doesn't say, I will participate in your suffering, but he invites us to participate in his. And why would that be? Well, as we look at it, um, some of my suffering, as a, you know, just speaking from personal experience, some of my suffering is personally inflicted. And I don't think there's anyone that can, in this room that would say, you know what, no, I'm pretty much totally the victim here. But we have to claim responsibility for some of our suffering whether that is through, through accident and, and acute injury or acute problems, or whether that is over time. Boy, I really should have been paying attention to my health for the past 25 years. And so we bear some of the responsibility. Yet Jesus, when he comes to us, he comes to us without blemish. We claim that he is human yet without sin. And any of us who have tried to resist something, some of us go through the Lenten discipline and give up things, the more you try to resist, what happens? Harder it gets. 
How many more days before I can have chocolate? Don't worry, I didn't. If you're in the office, you know it's zero. (laughs) But we know that the more we resist sin, the more we, we resist temptation, the harder it becomes. The suffering enhances until a point where we can no longer bear the suffering anymore and our will breaks. And yet Jesus says, I I have borne all that you have and then some. And so I want you to participate in my suffering, which is a holy, unjust suffering. It is a suffering through which I made the pain and I made the sorrow of this world redeemed and holy again. Where I transformed injustice into justice, where I transformed hatred into love, where I transformed pain into joy. And he invites us into what he has done. instead of inviting him into what we have done. And so he invites us into what he has done so that we can find meaning and purpose in our suffering now. Have, have you ever wondered, when is this going to end? Have you ever wondered, why me? Have you ever wondered, like David, oh my soul, why are you so downcast? Have you ever had the question, when will I get a break? Why can't I just seem to get this right? When will it all be made right? And it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that these things are redeemed and made right again. And he invites us into that so that our suffering, our pain, our longings, are redeemed and made holy until that day when sin is wiped out and we see the kingdom of God in full. That is the invitation when he says, this is my body broken for you. Participate in my suffering and find meaning for yours. So he reinterprets or he interprets our present. But he also has the power to interpret our future then as well. The people of Israel were in slavery. They were in physical slavery to the Egyptians. We may not find ourselves in physical slavery, but as the Apostle Paul would tell us, We are in slavery to sin if we are not in Christ. We are slaves to our desires. We are slaves to our sinful nature. We are slaves to to every whim of this world and to what Paul calls in Ephesians the ruler of the kingdom of the air who is at work among us. And when we are apart from Christ, we are subject to those things and our future is bleak, much like the darkness of Maundy Thursday night and Good Friday are bleak. 
Yet once again, Jesus says, I have the power to interpret those things as well because when we participate in his suffering and his death, we also participate in his glory and in his resurrection. When he is freed from the power of sin and death, the the Israelites celebrate when they were freed from the oppression of the Egyptians. But that was, just, that was just a drop in the bucket compared to the slavery of sin. When we think about slavery for 400 years at the, at the hands of Pharaoh, that is nothing compared to the slavery of our souls, person by person, decade by decade, century by century, millennia by millennia. It is nothing in comparison to that. And what Jesus says is just as the Israelites were freed and just as I am freed, when you participate in my suffering and in my death, you also participate then in my deliverance and my life. And I will deliver you from those things. Now, we're not fully delivered yet. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure I would be either uh, 50 pounds lighter or six inches taller. But we find freedom for our souls and know that ultimately the freedom of our soul rests in the hands of our faithful Savior and not in our own ability. That just as we participate in his suffering, once again, we participate in his resurrection as well. That his blood, his blood of the covenant is what makes us pure and holy before the Lord and seals us in an everlasting covenant with God where he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. You, 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 you will be my people forevermore. And so we are going to approach the table here in just a couple of moments. And I want us to, to reflect on what Jesus says because it, is, it isn't just taking ordinary symbols and saying, I want you to imagine this. It is taking a whole history and reinterpreting it through himself and saying, I will be your deliverance. I will be your deliverer. I will be your God. And you will be my people. And inviting us into his suffering so that we may see his glory. In that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks. What else can we do? As we consider your claims, claims that only you as God could make, Claims which we would consider as insane for any human being. But claims that give us promise and hope and deliverance from a disease that we could never shake ourselves. What can we do but give you praise? As we consider your words... Uh, Work on our hearts, work on our souls to understand what it is that you call us to in these moments. As we remember your words, 
help us to understand what you are offering. And let it interpret our present, our present sufferings, our present pain, our present doubts. And let it interpret our futures into something far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, thank you. Thank you. In your name we pray, O Jesus. Amen.